allowed to say brilliant things. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. So glad you're here to join us. Um, last week we were talking about learning in non-traditional spaces, and now we're moving forward into thinking about other things that happen in the classroom, specifically ideas of gender and gender identity and gender construction and how teachers and educators do respond to these identities and how they could maybe respond to these identities going forward. And so I'm so glad that Adele and Faith are back this week again to join us. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. And sitting across from me with that, that beard and a tie today, actually, looking super professional, is Brian. Hey, y'all. <laughs> it's um. interesting that you said hello, ladies. Yeah. Exactly. I think it sort of sets the tone. Brian, so yeah. that, that was intentional. Um, So I think to start off this conversation, it's helpful to think about when we're talking about gender in education, Mm -hmm. what does that look like right now? If we talk about gender equity, how does that exist in education? And so instead of that having like being a completely open ended question, one of the things that I find so interesting is that if we look at school enrollments for girls or women in high school and college it exceeds that of men whereas men or boys are enrolled at a higher rate in the lower grades so there's some kind of change that happens there at the same time you have more men or boys enrolled in science courses compared to women and girls at the same time this happens you have boys or men that are disciplined at twice the rate of girls and so there's just these real naughty ideas Um, in education of gender and so I'm just curious how we try to make sense of all this or maybe what's a point to start the conversation where we can talk about um, these things. I wonder if we could start at the point of what is gender. I mean Mm -hmm. uh, I often hear the words gender and sex used interchangeably Mm -hmm. but uh, my understanding is that's not the best way to describe it Um, uh, and a lot of folk um, uh, when you say gender, um, go to the categories you immediately described of male and female, um, uh, which might be described in our rarefied ivory tower circles as the false gender binary. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the idea of gender as an expression of some you know, societally shaped identity as opposed to sex, which is more um, you know, phenotypical or it, you know, to do with a I mean, to, to put it, to boil it really, really down, sex is to do with hardware and gender is to do with software. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but immediately we essentialize it as a thing that exists in the world and a thing that has stock categories like mm-hmm. male and female and that it has a meaning. It gets invested with meaning in sort of conversation in society. Um, but, you know, it, when we take that as our starting point, we're already making like a lot of assumptions about what gender is and, and, how we learn it and different things like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's where I would start a conversation about gender. Because <laughs> um, what is this thing that we were even talking about when we talk right, about gender? Right. And what are we talking about when we're talking about these statistics? Right. If gender is a spectrum and we're talking about these statistics in terms of binaries, right. then what do they even mean? Because my... F- um, my first thought in hearing those statistics, particularly the one that I, I think we've all heard before about the fact that women comprise the larger percentage of those going on to higher education and what that means, um, has a lot to do with what you were saying, Brian, in t- just in terms of how gender is a societal construct. Mm-hmm. And specifically in terms of what it means to be a woman, 
um, mm -hmm. in our society. I think a lot of the characteristics that we ascribe to being a woman mm -hmm. are also characteristics that we would ascribe to being a good student, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of being compliant and being conscientious and being detail-oriented. Um, things that our society might say are typically female. Um, when we put it that way, I think it's not really a surprise that women are the ones who are succeeding in school, perhaps, um, and not being disciplined because they're not pushing back against expectations mm -hmm. because the expectations that school has align with the expectations yeah. that society has of them as women. I think that that's the thread that I can see through this is this, how are we, so how are we at this table, how are we as a society or a culture, how are we in education defining gender, how is it being, how are we expressing how we're defining it, and if we're not even thinking about it, then some of these statistics are driven by that, mm -hmm. which I think is exactly what you're saying. Right. Yeah, Brian, and I really want to come back to the point that you're talking about, because I think, especially as we've moved forward as a society, we need to unpack the false gender binary, but before I do that, I think what you said is so interesting, Adele, and I, I want to probe that for a second, in that when we're talking about these gender identities, a lot of the impositions that are pushed, pushed on students are put down by teachers or administrators or the school setting, which gives that identity of gender, right? There's not necessarily that negotiation in it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's a place that we're getting to, but especially when you're talking about statistical research into gender in schools that's dealing with these things, it's the imposition. And so how much of the codification of what it means to be male versus what it means to be female is impacting those educational experiences? Mm -hmm. well, I think um, oh, oh, a thing to think about here is... Um, is gender a thing? Like, let's say, is gender a noun or is gender a verb? Mm -hmm. Let's say, mm -hmm. um, and um, I'm of I'm of the mind that it's a verb. That gender is a thing that happens to people. People are gendered through their um, interactions with you know communities and societies. And that's not to say that individuals don't have agency in that. But um, early on, there's a sort of a passive, um, I don't know, uh, taking in of this these gendered scripts, um, and uh, uh, it. I think in schools it ends up constituting part of the hidden curriculum um, as teachers use sort of very like casual language like policemen or firemen mm -hmm. um, yeah. to talk about particular occupations like already they're reinforcing gendered scripts um, probably unwittingly mm -hmm. um, uh, and probably uh, uh, sort of benignly even mm -hmm. um, yet uh, all, of, all of our action all of our language is suffused with this acceptance of the, the false gender binary and so we're constantly gendering students through our language um, and through the way we interact with them uh, not just about around particular bits of sort of academic content but also just in the sort of like non-academic interactions we have and in doing that it just makes me think of um, the student experience then yeah so if you are a student that has some um, sense of self in a way that's different than what's coming at you and mm -hmm. you realize it, just thinking about that student experience of, oh, can I not do that? Or am I not? Think about like something really simple, but when, um, when I've been around kids that are really small mm -hmm. and uh, like I'll paint my nails or something mm -hmm. and they'll and boys and girls mm -hmm. oh me too because they're mm -hmm. always doing the stuff that you're doing and it's and, awesome 
and it's awesome <laughs> and it looks cool. you're painting and you yeah. get to paint yourself and like mm-hmm. we're constantly saying like keep it on the paper or whatever so I just think yeah of course of course you would want to take this paintbrush and do this and then this um, challenge I suppose that they have at some point and I've heard parents talk about it uh, uh, of like I'm okay with it but they're going to go to school and I don't want them to get made fun of right. or I don't so just all mm-hmm. those questions around that having to be just a and as things change and become more open you know of course those things can move forward but that's gonna that takes a long time yeah so I mean I think maybe this is a good point to get into the next part of this conversation so how do we support students with different gender identities right because if this is a space where there is I mean choice isn't exactly the right word right because it's not someone necessarily choosing the gender it is the gender that they are and announcing that to the world but how do we think about those constructions and how do we support them because what I'm hearing from both what you're saying Faith and Brian is that part of the reason we have these gendered norms and treatments in schools is because as society we have constructed gender as such and then that is repeated through the school process so in that way how do schools and or teachers become disruptors or Mm -hmm. I'm not sure even disruption is the right word but create that space for engagement Mm -hmm. with these identities I think that idea of creating space is really important because one of the things that I was thinking about was that as educators many of us grew up in a different time period Um, and so one of the things that I need to do that that we need to do is create space for students to sort of teach us um, mm-hmm. the things that, mm-hmm. that we don't understand. Um, and I think as an English teacher, one of the ways of doing that is bringing in literature that has characters who are on the gender spectrum in some way and mm-hmm. using that as a way of talking about this and drawing on the expertise in the room um, mm. and decentering ourselves as experts mm-hmm. in this conversation Um to really just, again, as you said, open the space. How do we open the space for these conversations to happen? And one of the things I really, um, I guess, vibe with about how you're saying that is that um, my first thought was ourselves, that we have to open ourselves yeah. and, and just that idea of learning from one another, learning from our students and making that explicit. Mm-hmm. You know, help me out when I say something that you're yeah. like, hey, it's not that way anymore, yeah. you know. Go, if this is an open place where you can say it and talk about, here Here are ways in which that you can say it. Here are the spaces you can say it. Yeah. yeah. And for me, the lowest hanging fruit in terms of like um, paying attention to our language, because I do believe how we speak can affect how we think. Um, uh, um, one thing that I sort of have committed to is using they as a singular pronoun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I deliberately like to do that when I coach English teachers because it really like makes them mad. Um, <laughs> but I do it as a deliberate provocation because I want someone to correct me and say, oh, that's plural and your verb is singular. And then I'll go ahead and just say, no, I'm using this as a singular pronoun because I don't know the gender of the gender expression identified by the person who's the subject mm-hmm. of this verb. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as a former English teacher and as a lapsed classicist, um, mm-hmm. like the disagreement, uh, the grammatical disagreement, like grates against my ears, but my moral commitments outweigh my aesthetic commitments. Um, and um, it's just a thing that I like to model for teachers and for students. Just paying a little bit of attention to that one thing can then be like a, you know, a kernel of a greater change mm-hmm. in the whole thing. Um, so there's two things that you said that I want to piggyback and discuss, but 
I'm also thinking that there might be people in the audience that this conversation and this discourse might be something new. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And so yeah. the singular they is one representation, but there's also the idea of cisgender, non-gender yeah. conforming. Mm-hmm. I wonder, could we maybe run through some of that vocabulary to talk about what those mean so that if someone's listening, they can be more part of the conversation and not excluded in that way? Um, yeah, well, so the, the, the big thing about language around gender that I find super, super fascinating is um, so much of it is determined by how people identify. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if people, if a, if a, if a person who pre, you know, presents, um, uh, presents in, uh, um, tertiary traits like clothing and makeup and grooming in a way that is generally gendered as male in society. Um, if they identify as female, um, then and they say, I prefer she, her, hers pronouns, then that's what, that's what I do. Like, that's what you're meant to do when someone uh, states their, their identification. And all of the softness around this language is that it's all uniquely negotiated, and there are sort of broad categories that folk Mm -hmm. can sign up for, elect to join and identify as, but folk don't need to. So, um, you know, a a, a great example of some of this language that's a little bit uh, clearer is the idea of being cisgendered. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And to be cisgendered is to say that uh, I identify with the gender I was assigned at birth, um, and um, so, for example, I identify as cis male. Um, on my birth certificate, it says male. My whole life, I've been called he, him, his, boy, man, and that works for me. So I am cis male. So one of these terms I was thinking of is cisgender, but also what's the difference between transgender, gender nonconforming, and trender, tren- excuse me, gender transition, right? Like, I think those are all part of the same process in some ways, but have different representations, so can we unpack that a little bit? Can you say them, can you say them again? Did I, yeah, did I stutter over them? No, you're doing good. No, 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 no. It's just, I just, 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 a I few just need to separate them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so gender nonconforming, uh, gender transition, and transgender. So gender nonconforming, the way I understand it, and so just jump in. If, yeah. And that's one of the things I'll say. If you're listening to our podcast and say 2028, these terms might likely be different. Just yes. saying that right now, because yeah. language it's is, true. is it's yeah, it's evolving. I'm just excited you think we'll have a viewership 10 years from now. <laughs> right, um, um, gender nonconforming? Sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Um, that's, that's like, if the people around me, my community, or the larger community assign certain things like makeup belongs to girls or female, and I want to wear makeup, then I might be, and I'm, and I identify as a male. Mm-hmm. Then I would be gender nonconforming. So, if I can just unpack what you yeah. were saying and break that apart a little bit. So, gender nonconforming is a person announces his or her or their they, they, their yeah, gender, their um, and that and the things that they do do not conform with that gender selected. Then they're gender nonconforming. But I would also say that um, there are some people who would not identify with either gender and would mm. reject the binary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, sure. That's And yeah. so would not say, I am female or I am male. Right. 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 Um, yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, and uh, gender nonconforming, and that the way Adele is talking mm-hmm. about it right now, also kind of leans toward a, a category that folks sometimes identify as as a gender. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that say, I'm without gender, or I choose to live without gender, I choose mm-hmm. to without displaying the standard 
characteristics mm-hmm. of, a, yeah. of a particular gender right. category. Yeah. Um, um, so then sh- gender transition, how would we define that? Well, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so the idea would be that um, if I am living, like I, I'm, as I said, I'm, I identify as cis man. Um, if I wanted to, or if I f- uh, felt that the right expression for me um, of gender would be something that is traditionally gendered as female, um, I would go through a process mm-hmm. of transitioning mm-hmm. to displaying more of those um, traditionally gendered female characteristics. Process can be short, process can be long, it all depends on the person. It can be um, something that has to do with attire, behavior, grooming, um, even uh, to the point of, uh, say again? Pronouns. Yeah, pronouns. But also it can start to get into physical traits too. If I were to uh, go through hormone therapy or surgeries Mm -hmm. as a way to begin to more fully live in the gender or express the gender that I feel is right for me. Um, and that would be the transition. And interestingly, I, I was thinking, um, especially during that first part of your description um, of adolescence period, like that you're um, trying on different clothes and you're trying who am I and and testing these things out as well. So it's like a, something that adolescents can go through even if they don't know that's what, what they're doing. Yeah, and then so I think... Obviously, the term that's most commonly used is transgender, which may overlap yeah. with these things or may over- yeah. not overlap. But again, for clarity, can we get a definition that can maybe help with these conversations? I mean, I would say that transgender is someone who has gone through the transitioning process. Um, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but has likely had surgery um, or, or not. Yeah, or not. Yeah, um, I think that that's where it's that negotiation right. piece, right? So I might say I'm, you know... Trans, a transgender woman right. but I might also you know say where I am in my transition right. process right and I could maybe be anywhere along that right mm-hmm. along the spectrum yeah. yeah and I think going back to Brian's software hardware kind of analogy the mm. hardware doesn't necessarily determine determine the gender so no. tra- or the surgery or hormone therapy or whatever is not necessarily necessary and so I know it might seem belabored to talk about these definitions but one of the things that I think is so important with talking about these definitions is reading up for this podcast it seems that school is one of the first places that students will announce their gender identity or their gender transition so I think as educators being able to navigate this language and understanding possibly what students are saying when they are saying something to you and what Mm -hmm. that could mean is essential and so I mean, I can think very vividly of an experience where I, that I had with a student. This would have been six or seven years ago when this was not something that was widely accepted who ended up being pulled out of the school because um, the student had announced himself as a man and the parents were not okay with that, wanted yeah. to pull the student out to get therapy, but didn't realize that the student was announcing himself in this way until he had already been doing it for two or three months within the school. Mm-hmm. And so I think just navigating that boundary. I mean, I don't know if you guys have any other tips for identifying this and supporting students in that way, but that's something that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think um, a big part of this, uh, uh, and a big part of all of the work that we do as educators, um, and we all ought to do as people, is just recognizing human uniqueness (laughs) and remaining open to it and supporting it in any way that we can. Um, And if 
if we are unclear or unsure or uncertain um, to the extent that the person is uh, willing to engage in a conversation about it to ask questions and to learn as much as possible um, to just support this unique human who right. is in front of you regardless of their gender expression. Um, I, I think back to like, why do we even have gender as a societal construct? It's for me the same question of like, why do we even have race as a societal construct? Um, and the idea I come to is it, it, I think people like to have some sense of certainty. If I see a person who looks like this, I can assume that they act like that or they are mm. like that. Um, and um, issues of uh, uh, human sort of uh, individuality start to get swept under the rug. They start to, people get clumped together. Women, men, African Americans, whites, you know, whatever categories you want to chunk people into. Um, whereas when someone uh, doesn't fit neatly into one of these categories, people are often like uncertain as to how to react. Oh, do I open the door for that person or not? Because there are gendered behaviors in language uh, or in, in society as well. So um, uh, I think the, the biggest thing and uh, the biggest thing a teacher can do or anyone working in a school can do is just each student is a unique human and treat them accordingly. And I think that's why even our effort to define those terms was a struggle in many ways, because mm -hmm. I think that those terms will be refined mm -hmm. in every um, meeting that we have with a, a new student. Yeah. I think this idea, Brian, that you're talking about, about uh, looking at a student and teachers as unique individuals is so important because that's where the question can come, who are you? Mm -hmm. who, who do you say you are? I can't say who you are. Yeah. And that's not what I'm here to do as an educator either, mm -hmm. to say who you are. So to keep that open, and it always makes me think about going back to ourselves and keeping that um, openness to what we might consider new things, or you know, obviously things I haven't experienced, mm -hmm. and I think that's very important. So if I can try to summarize this, uh, put like, you know, a nice bow on things as you were so rightly critiquing. Um, I mean, I think, oh, you were critiquing the categorizations that we have within society. I, I think you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I think it's a rightful critique. But I mean, is it helpful for maybe for teachers working in schools that may be in support of this, that may not be in support of this, to mm -hmm. think of gender as an iterative process, something that's constantly ongoing and negotiating? And so what that means is actually creating space for those conversations. Um, I think that gets into the logistics of how and when one does that, if it's embedded in the curriculum or if you don't have that much control over the curriculum, where does that happen? But is that a helpful way to think about it? I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, as mm -hmm. soon, you know, as, as soon as you accept fixed things, even if it's just fixed knowledge, mm -hmm. then you've stopped inquiring and you've stopped learning. Um, so mm -hmm. the fact I like the fact that it's an ongoing negotiation and an ongoing conversation, perhaps even between an individual and society mm -hmm. or two individuals, that it's a constant evolution. There's no fixed thing. And I think as a teacher, you have to decide within your own school context how deliberate you want to be about mm -hmm. it um, because as I mentioned earlier as an English teacher you can deliberately bring in pieces of literature or text that 
directly addresses some of these issues and so you can be sure that there will be conversations about these issues in the classroom. If you are working in a social studies classroom, you can specifically bring in people from history who will raise these issues mm -hmm. in the classroom, right? Um, or th the issues will naturally arise from other conversations. Um, but I think as educators, we have to decide um, we have to decide when we are going to specifically raise these conversations if they are not naturally coming up in our classrooms. Yeah, I mean, I like what you're saying there, and that is making it a conscious effort, that it's right. not something that it just exists in the ether, that you feel that you are trying to be supportive of students, but that you're making the conscious effort to make action. Um, so maybe one last part of this conversation to, to make things a little, I don't know, more difficult, less difficult, I'm not sure, is we're in this Me Too movement moment. And... <laughs> okay, I sit down. Yeah. Um, and so what does that mean for schools? On the one hand, we're, we're talking in very gendered language with the Me Too movement, although there have been criticisms that the gendered nature of it has been kind of constricted in one way that doesn't open for more marginalized groups to be part of this movement, but what does this mean for changes in schools and how we work with students? I mean, there's even been discussions, does this mean the way that we teach sex ed is completely changed? I, I guess, I don't think there are any answers to these questions, but I would love to get each of your thoughts on what you think mm -hmm. this means for schools and for educators. I mean, it seems like it might be a good policy pod at some point. <laughs> <laughs> because I have to say that that's one of the things is um, policy and then also um, PD and support for teachers who studied their content and maybe thought they were going into teaching for their content and to get across their poetry or or equations or I know I'm not doing that part very well but um, whatever it is that their expertise is in and yet something like this especially if it's a sort of movement and it's and it's really coming out and rising up then they may have a student come to them and say, me too, this mm -hmm. happened to me. Mm -hmm. And so for them to know, A, what is what is their responsibility? And then also just, um, um, that's why I was thinking PD-wise, also just as a human, mm -hmm. what is my responsibility? How am I going to handle those kinds of situations, even aside from, you know, reporting? Um, I, of course... Uh, uh, always go back to like the basic terms here when you mentioned like sex education mm -hmm. my question is what is sex education mm -hmm. and what ought it be right do we conceive of sex education as sexual health education do we see it as sexuality education do we see it as some sort of a moral education do we see it as some sort of morals education that is say these are the morals follow them Right? And I think sex ed takes on a different um, character, let's say, depending on the community, depending on the person who is teaching it. Um, um, but sex ed can often, I mean, or can, I think, the, the, if we cast a very sort of you know, wide net, or um, we can talk about sexual health, we can talk about sexuality, and we can talk about gender among topics that are available to us. Um, part of what is gendered in society is how we are meant to behave as members of a certain gender within sexual interactions or equations, right? And then that starts to get into a, a moral... Th I mean, you know, not for nothing, I some member of Congress, I can't remember who, was talking about how the government shouldn't pay for the pill, um, birth control, in my day... 
the pill was an aspirin and just ladies kept it in between their knees and that kept them from getting pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's mm -hmm. what constitutes sex ed, then that's a morals education, not a moral education, and it's certainly not one that actually speaks to facts and science about sexual health. Well, can All I of stop which you there is, for a second? Yeah, you can. Because I appreciate the pushback <laughs> to this, but I think this is part of that conversation if we're talking about does sex ed change, is that permissive as being sexual education. Now, or has the Me Too movement said that, you know, talking about um, abstinence as sex ed not being suitable because of the world that we live in? Do we, as a society, want to continue to say, well, the community can define by their own morals or that there is a commitment to the understanding of how to navigate these relationships in a healthy and responsible way? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this notion of permissive sex ed. Like, do you mean, like, if we talk to students about having sex and how to do it safely, that it's permissive in some way? I'm not sure what you meant by permissive. Um, I'm probably misusing my words, but I meant that, like, we are permitting sex ed to exist that preaches abstinence, that oh. doesn't talk about sexual health, mm -hmm. that puts the onus on women, that advocates political positions of sure. um, not providing contraceptive to women. Because I, I, for me, that's one of the things that the Me Too movement is making a question that can we really live in a society that way when we know these things exist? No, we can't. Right, right. <laughs> Sex ed has to change. Right, right. I mean, and it is, um, and it has been for a long time. But uh, the, the, the notion that sex ed is a, a, a morals primer um, I think that's that's a, an, an idea we really need to get away from because, again, it discounts human uniqueness and human agency and also the fact that humans have sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how complicated it all is because I was thinking even before the Me Too movement with the Women's March mm -hmm. and the fact that that was a distinctly gendered mm -hmm. movement, right? But what it also brought up was the fact that the Women's March as a whole was really representing a small segment of women mm -hmm. and that many women's voices were not heard mm -hmm. in the women's movement. And so I think um, as a teacher, one of the things to unpack there is what are the dominant voices in this movement, but then also what are the, the voices that we're not hearing as much of mm -hmm. and how can we bring those to the fore? And I think that's the same with Me Too mm -hmm. um, in terms of like who are we hearing from in the Me Too movement, but also who else might we be hearing from um, around these very same issues? And I think um, one of the things that the Me Too movement is um, bringing very much to the forefront is this idea of relationships. And I think that should definitely be part of any sex mm -hmm. ed curriculum. Um, and that is along the whole gender spectrum. It's just how do individuals treat each other? Um, and how can we create boundaries for ourselves and respect other people's mm -hmm. boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm personally very grateful that that conversation is now so much in the public eye mm -hmm. um, and ear. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think, too, um, just building on what you're saying, Adele, is I'm thinking about this where we have like what we're calling sex ed and whatever that looks like and right. how, how we're picturing it what we went through, maybe what kids are going through now. And then um, the places where schools are talking about these things are, are, are sometimes 
are often outside of that context. Mm -hmm. So it might be like an advisory or where part of their curriculum is to talk about relationships mm -hmm. and they might not get into the like mechanics of sex, but they are going to get into the um, emotional components perhaps or just the whole spectrum of right. that part of the relationship that that's that a, right. a kid might have so yeah and I think also like in addition to talking about relationships there also yeah. needs to be a huge discussion about power yes. Um, yeah and if we're going to talk about gender we need to talk about power yeah. because mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons why gender persists as a societal construct is it also does give it invests some people with more power than others um, and people will fight mm -hmm. to preserve that thanks so much for that comment Brian I I guess I'm just left with, as we end this conversation, that this is only the beginning of a conversation and hopefully a conversation other people um, will continue to have and something that we might have to revisit uh, in the podcast to talk about kind of the, the, the situation at schools in terms of bathrooms, in terms of gym classes, in terms of how teachers are navigating teachers who may view um, identities of gender differently because <laughs> we can't get it all here. Um, so thank you for listening this week, and we'll hope to deliver more content to you next week. Bye. Bye.